in nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Grant us peace, O Lord, in our days, for there is no other who will fight for us, save but you, our God. The following is a reading from Dom Prosper Geringer's The Liturgical Year. July 16th, Our Lady of Mount Carmel. Towering over the waves on the shore of the Holy Land, Mount Carmel, together with the short range of the same name, forms a connecting link to two other chains abounding with glorious memories, namely the mountains of Galilee on the north and those of Judea on the south. In the day of my love I brought thee out of Egypt into the land of Carmel, said the Lord to the daughter of Sion, taking the name of Carmel to represent all the blessings of the promised land. Jeremiah 2, 2 and 7. And when the crimes of the chosen people were about to bring Judea to ruin, the prophet cried out, I looked, and behold, Carmel was a wilderness, and all its cities were destroyed at the presence of the Lord, and at the presence of the wrath of his indignation. Jeremiah 4.26 But from the midst of the Gentile world a new scion arose more loved than the first. Eight centuries before, Isaiah recognized her by the glory of Libanus and the beauty of Carmel and Saron, which were given her. In the sacred canticle, also the attendants of the bride sing to the spouse concerning his well-beloved that her head is like Carmel and her hair like the precious threads of royal purple carefully woven and dyed. Canticle 7.5 There was in fact around Cape Carmel an abundant fishery of the little shellfish which furnished the regal color. Not far from there, smoothing away the slopes of the noble mountain, flowed the torrent of Sisson that dragged the carcasses of the Canaanites when Deborah won her famous victory. Judges 5.21 Here lies the plain where the Madianites were overthrown, and Sisara felt the power of her that was called the mother in Israel. Judges 5.7 Here Gedeon, too, marched against Median in the name of the woman terrible as an army set in array, whose sign he had received in the dew-covered fleece. Canticles 6, 3, and 9 Indeed, this glorious plain of Esdrelon, which stretches away from the foot of Carmel, seems to be surrounded with prophetic indications of her who was destined from the beginning to crush the serpent's head. Not far from Esdralon, a few defiles lead to Bethulia, the city of Judith, type of Mary, who was the true joy of Israel and the honor of her people. Judith 15.10 While nestling among the northern hills lies Nazareth, the white city, the flower of Galilee. When eternal wisdom was playing in the world, Forming the hills and establishing the mountains, she destined Carmel to be the special inheritance of Eve's victorious daughter. And when the last thousand years of expectation were opening, and the desire of all nations was developing into the spirit of prophecy, the father of prophets ascended the privileged mount, thence to scan the horizon. The triumphs of David and the glories of Solomon were at an end. The scepter of Judah, broken by the schism of the ten tribes, threatened to fall from his hand. The worship of Baal prevailed in Israel. A long-continued drought, figured figure of the aridity of men's souls, has parched up every spring 
and men and beasts were dying beside the empty cisterns, when Elias, the Thesebite, gathered the people representing the whole human race on Mount Carmel and slew the lying prophets of Baal. Then, as the scripture relates, prostrating with his face to the earth, he said to his servant, Go up, look towards the sea. And he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And again he said to him, Return seven times. And at the seventh time, behold, a little cloud arose out of the sea like a man's foot. 3 Kings 18 Blessed cloud, unlike the bitter waves from which it sprang, it was all sweetness. Docile to the last breath of heaven, it rose light and humble above the immense heavy ocean, and, screeching the sun, it tempered the heat that was scorching the earth and restored to the stricken world life and grace and fruitfulness. The promised Messiah, the Son of Man, set his impress upon it, showing to the wicked serpent the form of the heel that was to crush him. The prophet personifying the human race felt his youth renewed, and while the welcome rain was already refreshing the valleys, he ran before the chariot of the king of Israel. Thus did he traverse the great plain of Esdralon, even to the mysteriously named town of Jezreel, where, according to Osi, the children of Judah and Israel were again to have but one head in the great day of Jezreel, i.e. of the seed of God, when the Lord would seal his eternal nuptials with the new people. O.C. 1, 2, and 2, 14-24. Later on, from Sunam, near Jezreel, the mother whose son was dead crossed the same plain of Esdralon in the opposite direction and ascended Mount Carmel to obtain from Eliseus the resurrection of her child, who was a type of us all. 4 Kings 4, 8-37. Elias had already departed in the chariot of fire to await at the end of the world when he is to give testimony together with Henak, the son of her that was signified by the cloud. Apocalypse 11, 3 and 7. And the disciple clothed with the mantle and the spirit of his father had taken possession in the name of the sons of the prophets of the august mountain honored by the manifestation of the queen of prophets. Henceforward, Carmel was sacred in the eyes of all who looked beyond this world. Gentiles as well as Jews, philosophers, and princes came here on pilgrimage to adore the true God, while the chosen souls of the Church of the Expectation, many of whom were already wandering in the deserts and in mountains, loved to take up their abode in its thousand grottoes. Hebrews 11.38 for the ancient traditions seemed to linger more lovingly in the silent forests, and the perfume of its flowers foretokened the Virgin Mother. The cultus of the Queen of Heaven was already established, and to the family of her devout clients, the ascetics of Carmel, might be applied the words spoken later by God to the pious descendants of Rechab. There shall, be not, there shall not be wanting a man of this race standing before me forever. Jeremiah 35.19 at length, figures gave place to the reality. The heavens dropped down their dew, and the just one came forth from the cloud. When his work was done, and he returned to his father, leaving his blessed mother in the world and sending his Holy Spirit to the church, not the least triumph of the spirit of love was the making known of Mary to the newborn Christians of Pentecost. What a happiness, we then remarked, for those neophytes who were privileged above the rest in being brought to the Queen of Heaven, the Virgin Mother of Him, who was the hope of Israel. They saw this second Eve, they conversed with her, 
they felt for her that filial affection wherewith she inspired all the disciples of Jesus. The liturgy will speak to us at another season of these favored ones. Paschal Time, Volume 2, page 314, which I have already covered, I assume. The promise is fulfilled today. In the lessons of the feast, the church tells us how the disciples of Elias and Eliseus became Christians at the first preaching of the apostles, and being permitted to hear the sweet words of the Blessed Virgin and enjoy an unspeakable intimacy with her, they felt their veneration for her immensely increased. Returning to the loved mountain, where their less fortunate fathers had lived but in hope, they built on the very spot where Elias had seen the little cloud rise up out of the sea, an oratory to the purest of virgins. Hence, they obtained the name of Brothers of Blessed Mary of Mount Carmel. In the 12th century, in consequence of the establishment of the Latin Kingdom of Jerusalem, many pilgrims from Europe came to swell the ranks of the solitaries of the Holy Mountain. It therefore became expedient to give to their hitherto eremitical life a form more in accordance with the habits of Western nations. The legate Americ Malafida, Patriarch of Antioch, gathered them into a community under the authority of St. Berthold, who was thus the first to receive the title of Prior General. At the commencement of the next century, Blessed Albert, Patriarch of Jerusalem, and also Apostolic Legate, completed the work of Amaric by giving a fixed rule to the order, which was now, through the influence of the princes and knights, returned from the Holy Land, beginning to spread into Cyprus, Sicily, and the countries beyond the sea. Soon, indeed, the Christians of the East, being abandoned by God to the just punishment of their sins, the vindictiveness of the conquering Saracens reached such a height in this age of trial for Palestine that a full assembly held on Mount Carmel under Alan the Breton resolved upon a complete migration, leaving only a few friars eager for martyrdom to guard the cradle of the order. The very year in which this took place, 1245, Simon Stock was elected general in the first chapter of the West, held at Aylesford in England. Simon owed his election to the successful struggle he had maintained for the recognition of the order, which certain prelates, alleging the recent decrees of the Council of Lateran, rejected as having been newly introduced into Europe. Our Lady had then taken the cause of the friars into her own hands and had obtained from Arnorius III the decree of confirmation which originated today's feast. This was neither the first nor the last favor bestowed by the sweet virgin upon the family that had lived so long under the shadow, as it were, of her mysterious cloud, and shrouded like her in humility, with no other bond, no other pretension, than the imitation of her hidden works, and the contemplation of her glory. She herself had wished them to go forth from the midst of, her, of a faithless people, just as before the close of that same thirteenth century, she would command her angels to carry into a Catholic land her blessed house of Nazareth. Whether or not the men of those days, or the short-sighted historians of our own time, ever thought of it, the one translation called for the other, just as each completes and explains the other, and each was to be, for our own Europe, the signal for wonderful favors from heaven. In the night between the 15th and 16th of July of the year 15, 1251, the gracious Queen of Carmel confirmed to her sons, by a mysterious sign, the right of citizenship she had obtained for them in their newly adopted countries. As mistress and mother of the entire religious state, she conferred upon them with her queenly hands the scapular, hitherto the 
the distinctive garb of the greatest and most ancient religious family of the West. On giving St. Simon's stock this badge, ennobled by contact with her sacred fingers, the mother of God said to him, quote, Whosoever shall die in this habit shall not suffer eternal flames. But not against hellfire alone was the all-powerful intercession of the Blessed Mother to be felt by those who should wear her scapular. In 1316, when every holy soul was imploring heaven to put a period to that long and disastrous widowhood of the church which followed on the death of Clement V, the Queen of Saints appeared to James Deus, whom the world would soon hail as John XXII. She foretold to him his approaching elevation to the sovereign pontificate, and at the same time recommended him to publish the privilege she had obtained from her divine son for her children of Carmel, viz. a speedy deliverance from purgatory. I, their mother, will graciously go down to them on the Saturday after their death, and all whom I find in purgatory I will deliver and will bring to the mountain of life eternal. These are the words of Our Lady herself quoted by John Twenty Second in the bull which he published for the purpose of making known the privilege of which we call the Sabatine Bull on account of the day chosen by the glorious benefactress for the exercise of her mercy. We are aware of the attempts made to nullify the authenticity of these heavenly concessions, but our extremely limited time will not allow us to follow up these worthless struggles in all their endless details. The attack of the chief assailant, the too famous Lanoy, was condemned by the Apostolic See, and after as well as before these contradictions, the Roman pontiffs confirmed, as much as need be, by their supreme authority, the, the substance and even the letter of the precious promises. The reader may find in special works the enumeration of the many indulgences which the popes have, time after time, enriched the Carmelite family, as if earth would vie with heaven in favoring it. The munificence of Mary, the pious gratitude of her sons for the hospitality given them by the West, and lastly the authority of St. Peter's successors soon made these spiritual riches accessible to all Christians by the institution of the confraternity of the Holy Scapular, the members whereof participate in the merits and privileges of the whole Carmelite order. Who shall tell the graces, often miraculous, obtained through this humble garb? Who could count the faithful now enrolled in the holy militia? When Benedict Thirteenth in the 18th century extended the feast of July the 16th to the whole church, he did but give an official sanction to the universality already gained by the cultus of the Queen of Carmel. The Holy Liturgy gives the following account of the history and object of the feast. When on the holy day of Pentecost the apostles through heavenly inspiration, spoke diverse tongues and worked many miracles by the invocation of the most holy name of Jesus. It is said that many men who were walking in the footsteps of the holy prophets, Elias and Eliseus, and had been prepared for the coming of Christ by the preaching of John the Baptist, saw and acknowledged the truth and at once embraced the faith of the gospel. These new Christians were so happy as to be able to enjoy familiar intercourse with the Blessed Virgin and venerated her with so special an affection that they, before all others, built a chapel to the purest of virgins on that very spot of Mount Carmel, where Elias of old had seen the cloud, a remarkable type of the Virgin ascending. Many times each day they came together to the new oratory and with pious ceremonies, prayers, and praises honored the most Blessed Virgin as the special protectress of their order. 
For this reason, people from all parts began to call them the Brethren of the Blessed Mary of Mount Carmel. And the Sovereign Pontiffs not only confirmed this title, but also granted special indulgences to whoever called either the whole order or individual brothers by that name. But the Most Noble Virgin not only gave them her name and protection, she also bestowed upon Blessed Simon the Englishman the Holy Scapular as a token, wishing the Holy Order to be distinguished by that heavenly garment and to be protected by it from the evils that were assailing it. Moreover, as formerly the Order was known in Europe, and on this account many were importuning Honorius III for its abolition, the loving Virgin appeared by night to Honorius and clearly bade him receive both the Order and its members with kindness. The Blessed Virgin has enriched the Order so dear to her with many privileges, not only in this world but also in the next, for everywhere she is most powerful and merciful. For it is piously believed that those of her children who, having been enrolled in the confraternity of the scapular, have fulfilled the small abstinence and said the few prayers prescribed, and have observed chastity as far as their state of life demands, will be consoled by Our Lady while they are being purified in the fire of purgatory, and will, through her intercession, be taken thence as soon as possible to the heavenly country. The order thus laden with so many graces has ordained that the solemn commemoration of the Blessed Virgin should be yearly observed forever to her greater glory. Queen of Carmel, hear the voice of the Church as she sings to thee on this day. When the world was languishing in ceaseless expectation, thou wert already its hope. Unable as yet to understand thy greatness, it nevertheless, during the reign of types, loved to clothe thee with the noblest symbols. In admiration and ingratitude for benefits foreseen, it surrounded thee with all the notions of beauty, strength, and grace suggested by the lovely, loveliest landscapes, the flowery plains, the wooded heights, the fertile valleys, especially of Carmel, whose very name signifies the plantation of the Lord. On its summit our fathers, knowing that wisdom had set her throne in the cloud, hastened by their burning desires the coming of the saving sign. At length there was given to their prayers what the scripture calls perfect knowledge and the knowledge of the great paths of the clouds. Job 37.16 And when he who maketh his chariot and his dwelling in the obscurity of a cloud had herein shown himself in a nearer approach, to the practiced eye of the fathers of prophets, the father of prophets, then did a chosen band of holy persons gather in the solitudes of the blessed mountain, as heretofore Israel in the desert, to watch the least movements of the mysterious cloud, to receive from it their guidance in the paths of life, and their light in the long night of expectation. O Mary, who from that hour didst preside over the watches of God's army, without ever failing for a single day. Now that the Lord has truly come down through thee, it is no longer the land of Judea alone, but the whole earth that now that thou coverest as a cloud, shedding down blessings and abundance. Thine ancient clients, the sons of the prophets, experienced this truth when the land of promise becoming unfaithful, they were forced to transplant into other climes their customs and traditions. They found that even into our far west the cloud of Carmel had poured its fertilizing dew, and that nowhere would its protection be wanting to them. This feast, O Mother of our God, is the authentic attestation of their gratitude increased by the fresh benefits wherewith thy bounty accompanied the new exodus of the remnant of Israel. And we, the sons of ancient Europe, 
We, too, have a right to echo the expression of their loving joy, for since their tents have been pitched around the hills where the new Sion is built upon Peter, the clouds, the cloud has shed all around showers of blessings more precious than ever, driving back into the abyss the flames of hell and extinguishing the fire of purgatory. Whilst then we join with them in thanksgiving to thee, deign thyself, O Mother of Divine Grace, to pay our debt of gratitude to them. Protect them ever, guard them in these unhappy times, when the hypocrisy of modern persecutors has more fatal results than the rage of the Saracens. Preserve the life in the deep roots of the old stock, and rejoice it by the accession of new branches, bearing like the old ones flowers and fruits that shall be pleasing to thee, O Mary." Keep up in the hearts of the sons that spirit of retirement and contemplation which animated their fathers under the shadow of the cloud. May their sisters, too, wheresoever the Holy Spirit has established them, be ever faithful to the traditions of the glorious past, so that their holy lives may avert the tempest and draw down blessings from the mysterious cloud. May the perfume of penance that breathes from the holy mountain purify the now corrupted atmosphere around. And may Carmel ever present to the spouse the type of the beauties he loves to behold in his bride. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. No.